Good morning, Restoration Road. It's good to see everyone today, our second week. I'm just so thankful for you guys. I love you guys. I'm just, I really believe God is going to surprise us this year, and he's going to build this church, and we're really going to see the church in Wakefield, this church, and of course many others, but this one, just doing the mission of God, which is proclaim this glorious gospel and make disciples, see people following Jesus, loving Jesus, seeing their lives transformed. So I'm just encouraged by that. We're going to all, if we could all stand up and say this together. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue in our sermon series called The Defiant Incarnation. We're really examining the life of the God-man Jesus as he comes to earth to save the world, to save us from our sins, to reconcile all things to himself. Really, every message you're going to hear is about how great Jesus is, how awesome Jesus is. That's how we get down at Restoration Road, and today is no different. Um, we're really going to look at Jesus today, see him, behold him, and really our mission is just to bear witness of him. Um, it's funny because it's totally contrary to the world system. What does the world tell us? It tells us live for your own glory. Work as hard as you can. Sacrifice as much as you can. So people look at you and they make much of you and they praise you. I'm always amazed at how much people in different arenas and different fields of life sacrifice so people will praise them and look at them and make much of them. I see this a lot. I watch the UFC. Um, and so they have this show called Primetime and they show the two fighters training. And they're working hard. They're away from their family for two months. They're, they're eating, a, you know, certain foods. They have a certain diet. They're sacrificing everything. And when you come to them and you ask them, why are you doing this? They said, no sacrifice, no glory. They live for that moment inside the cage when they can be raising their hands and everyone's praising and saying, wow, look at them. Of course, God can use athletes for his glory and then get that position and praise God. But a lot of times that's not the case. And that's in every area of life. We're called to do something much different. We're called to create a gap between us and God. Not to try to be like God and want to be glorified and want people to praise us, but for people, people to see how low we are. I'm amazed at how pastors are introduced nowadays. Here's a guy, he's spoken on 29 continents, and there's not even that many. But he's, he's started 15 Bible schools, 5,000 people. He's, he's a leader of leaders. And it's just this long list of how awesome the pastor is. You don't see that in the Word of God. What you see is people like John the Baptist today. I'm lower than low. I'm not even worthy on tie Jesus's sandal. Paul, I'm the greatest of sinners. Let us be introduced as the lowest of low, but Jesus had grace on us. And he saw us as sinners and knew we were sinners and became our righteousness. And we're people who not proclaim our strength, our righteousness, our works, but proclaim our lowliness and the greatness of our God, Jesus. That's our mission to behold the Lamb, and to bear witness about him. So today we're going to get introduced to a character who was one of my favorites in high school, in high school, in Sunday school. I missed him in high school. I was a sinner. And so, you know, you go through your Sunday school classes, and when they talked about John the Baptist and you're a little dude in Sunday school, you thought he was the coolest dude. He ate locusts and honey. You'll be talking to your friends like, man, he ate crickets, bro. And he had animal fur, and he was just hairy and just yelling stuff in the wilderness. Just a masculine, gritty dude, and I loved him. 
So we get introduced to this guy today, um, John the Baptist, who really, in the Bible it says, among men there was one, not one who was born who was fully man who was greater than John the Baptist. So that's pretty great, right? But this man, we'll see through this whole chapter, he created such a gap. When people even asked him about being the Christ or being great, he said, no, I'm just a voice. I'm low. I'm nothing. I'm just preparing the way. I'm pointing one who's far greater. You can't even comprehend his greatness. The fully God and fully man, the Messiah, the God-man Jesus, the preexistent one. And that's what I want us to hear today. How great Jesus is, how low we are, and that Jesus fills that gap. That's why we praise him, because he filled that gap. We can't fill that gap. That's why we rejoice, because he's great, and he has redeemed us and saved us through his love by becoming, becoming, coming into this world, entering human history, and saving us as the God-man. Is that awesome stuff? It's such a privilege just to talk about Jesus. I was thinking about this, that this week, that we can even talk about Jesus. We can even worship him in songs. We can even praise him. So we're going to start in the text. We'll start with verse 19. It says, it's John chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So the religious leaders of the time were very nosy. They didn't like when people started to have influence and crowds started following them and listening to them because it would take them away from their leadership. And, you know, John, he called him brood of vipers. He was a, a ruffian, you know. And so they were trying to figure out who is John. They knew that God was with them. They knew God had favor on him. They knew he was prophetic. They knew that people were listening to him. So their question was, who is this man? So they get a committee together, and they send it um, to the Jordan to talk to John the Baptist to find out who he is, what his identity is. And they ask him the question, who are you, John? In verse 20, it says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. There was messianic talk all through the land. People were saying they expected the Christ to come. They wondered who the Christ was. And right away, John detects detects that he thought, um, that he knew that they thought he could be the Christ. People were saying, is John the Christ? Is he the Messiah? They were waiting for a Messiah who would deliver Israel. He would come from the line of of David. He would have a unique relationship with God. They were waiting for this deliverer to come. And John, right away, before they can even think anymore, says, I am not the Christ. And he says a few times, I am not the Christ. He's making a point, saying, I'm not the Savior. I'm not the one you are looking for. So they start to inquire more, and they say, verse 21, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. They were expecting Elijah to come. Many people who know the Old Testament, if you don't, I'll explain it real quickly. Elijah never tasted death. He was one of the most powerful prophets in the Old Testament. He was brought up in chariots of fire, and he never tasted death. So the Jews of the time expected Elijah to come back physically before the coming of the Messiah. So they're saying, could this be Elijah come back? And once again, John says, I am not. Then they keep going. Okay, he's checklist, boom, he's not that, he's not that. Here we go. Are you the prophet? And he answered no. Once again, they were expecting someone like Moses to come before the Messiah. 
So they're going through these categories and saying, are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? And he's saying no. It was kind of like talking to those who know Trevor when he was 8 to 12 years old. You talk to Trevor and you say, Trevor, how's it going? And just be like, I don't know. John is giving the same type of answers. He's not giving long answers. He's giving short answers. And he's just saying, no, I'm none of those things. The finally, the committee, the religious leaders, they get aggravated and they say, reading on, I'm taking it verse by verse here. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? They're fed up. We're on a mission. Our mission is to find out who you are. John the Baptist, who are you? Tell us now. And I want you guys to hear how John responds because this is beautiful, the way he responds, and it's only by God's grace. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, we know John was considered a mighty man in history. He could have went through a long list of things and said, don't you know who I am? I'm the great one. You've been waiting for me to prepare the way for the Messiah. I'm awesome. I eat locusts and honey, man. I wear fur. I'm the man. You want my resume? He said, no, man, I'm just a voice. That's all I am. I'm just a voice. Just a voice. Now, if anyone has a right as a man to claim greatness, it's John the Baptist. No, I'm just a voice. You don't realize how low I am. I'm just proclaiming of one who's far greater, greater than me. Make a path for the Lord. And in ancient times, they would have understood this because they would have, to make a road, you had a clear wilderness. You had a clear obstacles. And that John is called the axe. Just go through, clearing off. This is how John was. That's why he was so gritty. He was a rough guy. He'd cry out. He was clearing trees through, taking religious leaders out, calling them out, crying out about the Savior, pointing to Jesus. He's saying, I'm clearing the path. I'm preparing the way. This was the mission of John the Baptist. His whole life was to point to another. And that's what I, I want us to hear today. Your whole life, you will never be the greatest. Never. And you will never be more content when, than when you realize that. People waste their life trying to be the greatest, trying to be number one. That throne's already taken. There's only one name that's above all other names. There's only one name that should be worshipped. There's only one who's on the top. The rest of us are on the bottom. That's the gospel. That's the mission of God. And John gets it. And I want us to get it by God's grace today that our life's mission is to make much of Jesus, to point to Jesus, to exalt Jesus, to lift him up. And that's even why we come here today, to lift up Jesus. So we're moving on in verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, they're irritated with him because he's from Jesus' crew. And the religious leaders, they got irritated at people who were from that crew, who were part of the redemptive plan. They were familiar with baptism. But baptism, most of the time, was used for people who were converting from other religions. So if you were quote-unquote, a dirty Gentile who came from another religion, they would have to dunk you because it would consider making you clean. And then everyone in your house, all the males would have to be circumcised. Male and female, you'll have to be baptized. So they were saying, what are you trying to say, John? You're baptizing Jews as if we're in the same class. It irritated them that he would even have the, have the, um, the courage <laughs> to 
baptize Jews because they say, we're above that. What are you doing? If you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, that's for Gentiles who convert into this religion. How dare you, John? Who do you think you are? If you don't fit one of our categories, how dare you lead and you baptize people? They were perplexed at this whole thing. Like, who is this dude and who does he think he is? Then he goes on to say, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stand one who you do not know. And I want to stop there, and I'm not going verse by verse, but this is good stuff. Once again, he changes the subject right away. He takes it from baptism to Jesus. And you're going to see this pattern. Stop talking about me. Let's start talking about Jesus. Stop talking about how great I could be. Let's talk about how great Jesus is. You'll see this whole pattern of John just saying how low he is and how great Jesus is. He changes the subject. And going on to verse 27, just to explain how low he is so they don't think too highly of him. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. I know that's hard for us to understand because we only see like Adidas sandals and you the Velcro and all that good stuff. But to untie someone's sandal in that day was the lowest act. Only slaves untied the sandals of their masters. And many times disciples would do tasks for their teacher, for their rabbi, because the rabbi didn't get any money. There was no compensation if you were a teacher of the scriptures. So they tried to partly compensate them by um, doing tasks for them and stuff like that. But there were sayings back then that a disciple should do everything for his rabbi, the same as a slave should do everything for their master, except untie the sandal. That was too low. That was too dirty. You can't go that low. John said, I'm not even worthy to do the lowest act. I'm not even worthy to untie his dirty, filthy sandals. This is how great this Jesus is who is among you. This is how great your God is. He just keeps making a statement so they understand, I am nothing and he is everything. And then just verse 28, this all took place on the other side of the Jordan. And then we see the day change. So that happened in one day. This is the great couple of days. This is really serious. John has spent his whole life, his whole life, preparing the way for the Messiah. His mission is to lift him up. His mission is to see the people revealed, um, see the Messiah revealed to Israel through, through the baptisms. And here we go. In verse 29, I love this verse of Scripture. And I always say this is one of my favorite Scriptures, but I say that about 252 Scriptures. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I was a WWF fan when I was younger. I'm not going to lie. Back when wrestlers were wrestlers, the macho man, Jimmy Fly Snooker, you understand me? The dragon steamboat. Yeah. And when they would make such an entrance for these guys, and people were like, oh. Look at who it is. It's the macho man. And then make such a, John, you love when I get macho man into, into messages. I don't know how it's happened twice in my life, but it's happened. So <laughs> just the entrance, people like, behold, the macho's here. Oh, behold, Ricky, the dragon steam. Like people just like, there he is. Imagine how low that is compared to the savior of the world, the God man fully incarnate one coming to save us in the excitement and the emotions that John must have felt when he said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. 
I want you guys to feel the weight of that. And John, who his life's mission was to point to this God-man, saying, behold, here he is. He's going to take away the sins of the world. Now, why did they say Lamb of God? There's many arguments and many theories on it. I'll give you a few, and I'll say they're all pretty right, and they're pointing in one direction. One is because lambs were used in sacrifices for the atonement of sins and the forgiveness of sins. Another one, that Jesus was going to be the suffering servant. Another one, he was going to be like the Passover lamb. Another one, like Genesis 22, when um, Isaac was going to be sacrificed, but a lamb took his place and substituted his place. I would say yes, yes. But I say they're all pointed in one direction, that Jesus would be a sacrifice for his people. That he would be the final sacrifice who would take away the sins of the world. And we'll get that, to that more in the application part. But I want you to hear this. Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Let's move on to verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Once again, creating that gap calling Jesus pre-existing, just like last week's message. He always has been. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the Word become flesh. He's divine, and he's also fully man. Verse 31, I myself did not know him. For this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. We see the mission of John. He's just carrying that out. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, And it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So in a very divine, powerful, mysterious way, God had revealed to John that whoever he baptized, who the Spirit descended on and remained on, he was the Messiah. You've got to understand how great Jesus is, but how Good John must have felt about this. Not only did the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, the third person of the Trinity, equal with God, descend on Jesus to confirm that he was the Messiah, he remained with him. Everything Jesus did on earth was through the power of the Holy Spirit. He healed through the power of the Holy Spirit. He preached through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was resurrected through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see the triune God working here in all the mission. It's beautiful stuff. It gets me excited. I get goosebumps. I love this stuff. He remains with Jesus, and he does not baptize with water. Once again, I baptize with water. You guys don't get it. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God. He creates new hearts. He writes the law of God on a heart. No longer is on tablets made by man. The Holy Spirit writes God's law on our heart. He helps us. He encourages us. He convicts us. He causes us to endure. This is who Jesus is is doing his work by, through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a beautiful, wonderful, powerful thing going on where Jesus is bringing new creation, and he's making us new creations. And let's leave this last verse here, verse 34. Just John, just full of, full of the whole moment. Probably one of the best days of his life, if not the best day of his life. His mission is coming close to the end. He would end up getting beheaded at the end of his life, but he is seeing the Messiah come. He's seeing the fruit of laying down his life and sacrificing. And he makes this statement. And I want you to see how theologically sound the book of John is. 
And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. He is calling Jesus divine. Because he's the Son of God. He has a unique relationship with God. He is the second person of the Trinity who has come as the Messiah, as the Christ, to deliver Israel and ultimately to save the world. This is how great God is. This is what I want you guys to hear in the application right now. I want to tell you about substitutionary atonement. I gave you hypostatic union last week. I'm giving you substitutionary atonement this week. For you to understand that Jesus is the final sacrifice, that it's all by grace, you've got to understand the, you know, just the theological background here. God is so holy, so pure. There is no evil found him, in him. He's so far apart and so far above us, we can't even understand the purity. In order for him to have relationship with sinful people like us, to be even worshipped or approached by sinful people like us, is for there to be a sacrifice of life. For the wages of sin are death. So we instituted a sacrificial system where his covenant people, the people of Israel, would have to sacrifice an animal or animals for their guilt, for their shame, for their sin, to make atonement so they could be in right relationship before a holy God. We see the day atonement, what would happen was the priest, you would have to sacrifice a bull for even the priest because once again, he's a filthy sinner like us. For him even to make the sacrifices before God, they would sacrifice a bull. Then he would make a sacrifice. They would bring two goats up on the day of atonement. One goat, they would lay hands on this goat symbolically as all the sins of the people will be put in on the, were put on this goat, that goat would be brought out into the wilderness, symbolizing that the people's sins were, big word, but I'll explain it to you, expiated, taken away from them, far away from them. They, they forgot, that God has forgot their sins. They as far as the east is from the west. They are away from his people. Jesus, on the cross, took away our sins. He expiated our sins. He came the final sacrifice who took your sins away. You don't have to live in condemnation. They're as far as the east is from the west. You're not going to get to heaven. He's going to condemn you over those sins. You are clean. You are poor. You are pure. You are spotless. You are blameless because Jesus has taken your place. He has become the substitute. Also, there was a goat who would become the propitiation. Big word. I'll define it simply for the common man. The object of wrath. There's someone who had to pay the punishment that was yours to bear. Because God's just and holy. He's not going to change the rules. The wages of sin are death. The wrath of God is on everyone who has broken God's law. They would take this goat. They would kill this goat. And he would become the object, symbolically, of the one who was bearing God's wrath. Jesus, on the cross, became your substitute. So that you don't have to bear the wrath that is yours to bear. That's the beauty of the cross. That he took your place, that he became your substitute and was beaten, was bruised, was whipped, was persecuted in your place. That's the gospel. That he both expiated your sin and became the propitiation for your sins. He took away your sins and he bore your sins. That's good stuff. That's unbelievable. That's why it's such good news. It's horrible news if you still have to pay for part of your sin. That's a works gospel. That you have to be good enough. That's if you. Sin when you're 78, uh uh-oh, he's out. No, it's once and for all. That's why he said, it is finished. He said, it is finished because he completed it on the cross. The Lamb of God took away the sins of the world so that all who believe in him might be saved. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Moving on, 
The, Jesus said that once he ascended, that he would send a helper to us who would be with us. I want you guys to know that the Holy Spirit is God and that he encourages us. He causes us to endure. He picks us up when he's down. He's called the comforter. That God himself is with you. That the Spirit of God, you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. When you become a believer in Christ, when he wakens your heart from the truth, that's baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He is with you, teaching you. Listen to his voice. Rejoice that God has sent him to you. And understand that he has made you a new creation. So at um, our home group this week, um, we, for some reason, um, Spurs got us on a theme where everything had to be new. New creation, new meeting, everything. And so we just talked about on that day of salvation, for those of you who understand who have been changed by Jesus, there's something that happens on your day of salvation where you're just so aware of how God has changed your heart. Like, I had no idea. I thought I'd start going to church because, you know, I wanted the good things. I wanted to have a wife, and I wanted to have a family, and I wanted to be good morally, and I wanted to keep a job. And, you know, all that exterior stuff. I had no idea that God was going to change my heart. Something crazy. My desires changed. I said, man, I feel like a fruit loop. I, like, want to worship Jesus all the time. I want to go to church. I want to be a witness of him. This is crazy. But that Holy Spirit had come and made me a new creation. And you see God being faithful and providing and moving on your behalf. It's unbelievable what happens when the Holy Spirit changes your life. And many can attest to that. But that's what Jesus came. He didn't baptize with just water. He baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit to make us new creations. Adopted as sons and daughters of God. I'm getting way too excited up here. I'm going to kick the music stand. (laughs) And finally, I want us to be a culture at Restoration Road. Will we create such a gap between how low we are and how high Jesus is that no one can ever claim the glory to us? You don't have to tell people how good you are, how much you serve. God in the secret sees that. He works on our behalf in the secret. He doesn't work the way the world, the world does. You have to be in the front. People have to be looking at you. You have to be praising. He says, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. It's a great place to be. Let me tell you. There's no greater joy or peace when you stop striving to please man. And you stop trying to be something so people think you are something. And you say, you know what? I'm a sinner. I'm nothing. I'm saved by grace. But let me tell you about my Jesus. He's everything. He laid down his life for me. He showed me that God was love. He healed me. He made me a new creation. Let's be witnesses of that. Let's be witnesses of Jesus that we behold the Lamb of God and we point to Jesus and we make much of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that we as your people get to come and glorify the name of your son Jesus and come to you through his work and get to receive the Holy Spirit. You've been a unbelievably gracious God to us. You've been such a loving God to us. We thank you that you have made us yours. Holy Spirit, empower us to be witnesses of you. Let us not be ashamed to make much of our Savior, Jesus. Teach us to create a gap. Teach us to seek your glory and not our own. And to find the greatest joy when you're made much of.